Welcome to our study together of the book of Romans. We're looking together at chapter 8 this week, the last half of that chapter. And today in verses 22 to 27, very famous portion of scripture that talks about three groans, G-R-O-A-N-S, groans that we face in our lives. This groaning that is a part of creation, a part of our lives, and even a part of the spiritual work of God in our lives, teaches us how God works in a real world where we face real struggles to make a real difference in our lives. There are those people who think that for God to work, everything always has to be happy. Everything always has to be a smile. There can never be a groan or a frown. This is an interesting chapter because it notes that through three different types of groaning, God is at work in our lives. Romans 8, 22 to 27, the first kind of groaning that this chapter talks about is the fact that all creation groans. Verses 19 to 22, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Sons of God is all believers. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. It's a very fascinating passage of scripture. It contains some information that we don't really see anywhere else in scripture in a more powerful and concise way than we see anywhere else in scripture. This reminds us of the truth about creation. There are four truths to remember about creation. First of all, remember that creation, this is from the entire Bible, these truths. Remember that creation began as a, as a good creation. What caused a good creation is a good God. Genesis 1.31, it was good. God saw it was a good. But here we see that it's a, it's a groaning creation. So what caused a good creation to become a groaning creation? Well, that's the second truth about creation. What began as a good creation became a fallen creation. Genesis 3, verses 17 to 18 talks about this. Adam is called before God to be accountable for the sin of eating of the fruit in the garden. And God says, because you listened to your wife and ate from that tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You see what's happening here? Not only did Adam suffer because of his sin, not only did Eve suffer, but all of creation suffered. The ground was cursed because Adam had been made responsible for creation. All of creation suffers. Man's sin put thorns on roses, made animals into predators. This whole idea of a natural disaster, like there's just something wrong with creation in and of itself, that's not biblical. All disasters are man-made disasters. Now, you can try that on your insurance company, it won't work, but when you check it by the Bible, you recognize that there's no such thing as this act of God kind of a thing where something goes wrong. It's really an act of Adam. Adam is the one who chose to sin, and because he chose to sin, all of creation suffers. Notice that Romans 8 tells us that God allowed that to happen. Why? Why? Because he allowed it to be subjected to come under the same punishment that man did so that it could be liberated, come under the same glory that man was someday going to come under when God came to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. So that leads us to the third truth about creation. Began as good and became fallen. Number three, it now waits. Creation waits as a groaning creation. Instead of saying that this pain that all of creation goes through is useless, 
Paul in these verses amazingly compares the groaning to a woman who is in labor, the looking forward to a birth. That's an amazing picture in Scripture. And it leads to the fourth truth about creation. One day, it will become a glorious creation. J.B. Phillips translates this verse, the whole creation is standing on tiptoe, eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. Earlier in the book of Romans, we saw that these bodies that God has given us someday are going to be redeemed. We're going to be given new bodies. These verses indicate that it's not just us, but all of creation that's going to be redeemed. At the end of time, the Bible tells us there will be a terrible destruction of this present creation, but that's not the end of things. There follows an incredible recreation, an incredible redemption of all of creation. All of creation groans, waiting for that day when all of creation will be a glorious creation. I could spend an hour talking about that, but that just gets your mind thinking about the glory of God's creation. That's the first groaning, creation groans. The second groaning in this passage is we groan. Verses 23 to 25, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Here we groan because we're waiting. We're waiting for our adoption and for our redemption. Every time we groan, oh man, a rotten day. Oh man, I wish I could grow faster. Oh man, why did that happen? Every time you groan, it is a reminder to us to look to the promise of glory because that is what's gonna transform our suffering. You can focus on the groaning if you want. I can too. But God says, focus not on the groaning, but on the glory. And he talks about the redemption of our body. The Greeks in the days that the New Testament was written had the idea that the body was something you got out of, away from. It was a prison that, that held your spirit. That is not the concept of the Bible. The Bible teaches us instead that the body is in pain, it's in suffering, it's limited, but it's an important aspect of who God's made us to be. And God is using what happens even in this body that we have to build something that will last for eternity. He is building in us something that's going to last forever. And these bodies aren't going to just be thrown off someday. They're going to be resurrected. They're going to be redeemed. They're going to last forever. When I begin to get a hold of that, when I begin to understand what that means, he says in verse 25, we begin to wait patiently for what God has in store for us. In verse 23, he says we wait eagerly. In verse 25, he says we wait patiently. When you put those two words together, we wait eagerly and we wait patiently. To me, that equals anticipation, genuine anticipation of what God's going to do. The truth isn't found in one or, not, one or the other. I'm eager or I'm patient. It's found in both. I am eagerly patient. It's amazing to me that we miss out on this anticipation many times as believers. We, we can anticipate the little things, but we forget to anticipate the big things in life. I mean, if we can anticipate something like a dessert that we're going to have at the end of the day, yeah, I know what you do sometimes. You've got that haagen that special kind of ice cream, and it's not out where your kids can get to it. It's way in the back of the freezer. And after they go to bed, you are anticipating getting it out and having a scoop or, or two of that ice cream. 
We can anticipate that. We can anticipate a vacation. We can look forward for months to a vacation, someplace we're going to go maybe this next summer. If we can anticipate little things like that, we can certainly anticipate every day of our lives, every day of our lives, what it's going to mean to be in God's glory, adopted as his sons, redeemed as his children for all of eternity. That's better than Hagen does. That's better than a vacation to Tahiti. That is something we can look forward to for all eternity. Now, we're waiting for what God's going to do someday. So has God left us alone during this time of waiting, during this time of struggle? No. No, there is a third groaning that's talked about in this passage. Number three, the creation groans, we groan. Number three, God's spirit groans, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever felt like that? We all have. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When I don't know what to pray, he does. God's Spirit not only knows what to pray, he actually prays within us, talks to the Father on our behalf. I'm not saying here that we don't need to pray. I'm over that one. The Spirit's going to pray for me. I don't have to ever worry about that again. The Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. God tells us very clearly to talk to him about our needs. This verse instead is telling us that when I feel I need to pray, but I don't know what to say, and I just feel silent, he knows what to say. And he's praying. He's interceding for me with groaning too deep for words. Now, this doesn't come with sound. Some people say that it comes with some kind of a a sound. I've always thought instead that it's very silent. The Holy Spirit is speaking in ways that we don't even understand. Right now, you might feel this way. I don't know what to pray. As you face a situation in your family or at your work or in your personal life, well, let's pray right now. And as we begin to pray, realize that even before we started to pray, God's Spirit was praying within you, groaning, talking to God with words too deep even for your understanding. Verse 27 tells us that he is interceding for the saints in accordance with God's will. You may not know what God's will is in a circumstance, in a situation. God's Spirit does. And he's interceding for you right now. So instead of saying any words, Just rest in that. Just right now, for a moment, rest in the fact that God's Spirit within you is communicating to the Father. Rest in the fact that God knows you like no one else and that His Spirit obviously knows His will. As you rest in that fact, sense right now the confidence and the love that comes from the fact that your Father cares about you that much. Sense the security that his spirit within you is praying with that kind of clarity. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Tomorrow, as we continue our look at Romans 8, we're going to be looking at some of the best loved and most quoted verses in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30.